Well, hello and welcome to the HRD Live podcast with me, David Clift, CPO at Contentive. Today we're talking about HR technology and implementing a, an HR system is a, a cause of anxiety for many a, a, an HR professional uh, in, in most organisations. Uh, an HCM can offer a promised land of functionality and analytics that gives HR leaders the power to influence strategy in a way they've not previously been able to. However, many implementations fail to deliver the promised return on investment, and from vendor selection to getting buying from your board, the whole process can bring both risks and potential reward. Joining me today to discuss the challenges and successes of HCM implementation are Richard Doherty from Workday and Chris Murray from PwC. Uh, gentlemen, would you like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, good morning. Thank you, David. And thank you for pronouncing my name, my surname so well. I, I've been introduced as Richard Dirty on, <laughs> on many, many occasions, which I like, but but is incorrect. So um, my name, uh, yeah, so I'm Richard Doherty, Workday um, Product Marketing Senior Director. Um, I've worked personally in the HR technology space for the last 19 years, quite a long time, for a number of different um HR technology vendors. Most recently, the last four years, I have uh, worked at Workday, helping to build up Workday into uh, in, in the European market to, to where we where we where we stand today. Over to you, Chris. Uh, so, Chris Murray, I'm a partner at PwC, and uh, I lead our HR transformation consulting capability globally. So, we have about two and a half thousand people, about around sixty countries, who serve clients in this area. And I look after that network. And um, I guess over the last three years or so, I've been involved in PwC's own HR function transformation and workday implementation as well. So here to uh, to share a few reflections on that journey, as well as those with uh, with clients. So I've led implementations of cloud technology in the HR space with, with all the main vendors, including Workday. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, Richard, uh, Workday have got a, a fascinating history in the marketplace. Uh, you know, I, I remember in the, the pre-workday times where people would have the, the your traditional on-site systems and Workday have come in and really disrupted that market and had this one-code approach. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about that history? Sure. Obviously, I'd love to. <laughs> um, so, yes, let, let, let's go back in time. So Workday was, was founded back in 2005 in Pleasanton, which is about 40 minutes outside of um, San Francisco. Um, by uh, Dave Duffield, who was previously the founder of PeopleSoft, who I'm sure many people have also heard of, and Anil Bushri, who is now our uh, sort of inspirational CEO. Um, and their idea was was to really disrupt the enterprise application space for finance, HR, and analytics. And, you know, the advantage that they had, we have, uh, was that at that moment in time, the incumbent vendors, uh, you know, they were tied down to this legacy code, this old technology, whereas when Workday started, clearly we had a blank sheet of paper and they, they could make some, some quite crucial technological decisions at that point using the latest technology, deciding to only deliver the solution in the cloud um, and, 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 you know, to use sort of in-memory database and, you know, consumer-grade experience, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's, with Workday, it's not only about the technology. It's, uh, I think it's about the culture and the values of the organization. So, again, 
the founders of the company, you know, they set out our six core values, which were in, in this order uh, of priorities, employees first, customers, innovation, integrity, fun and profitability. And, and those culture, those values that are very much at the core of, of what they have led to, and let me share some numbers with you. So, you know, we, we measure customer satisfaction on an annual basis, which is quite unusual in the enterprise uh, software market and and currently that stands at 98% which means that 98% of our customers would recommend Workday to uh, to their peers in other organizations in 2018 Workday in the UK was ranked uh, the number one best place to work in the UK for medium sized um, companies by the great places to work institute now you know 14 years later after the founding of the company we've got 10 and a half thousand employees 1900 of which are in Europe over 2,600 um, customers with 425 of those headquartered in Europe. And let me just drop some names. I mean, we've got, we've got a fantastic, I mean, an amazing customer base, obviously PwC, Chris sitting next to me, but other organizations across industry like Amazon, Lloyds Bank, Rolls-Royce, Primark, Siemens, BP, the Cabinet Office, Netflix. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a who's who of, in my opinion, the very best companies in the world. And and finally, a few more numbers, and I'll stop. Uh, and you can edit this out if it's boring. Um, <laughs> Keep going. So, so Keep going, Richard. our uh, customers are managing over thirty-seven million employees around the world with Workday in more than two hundred countries. Fifty percent of the Fortune fifty are Workday customers. Forty uh, percent of the Fortune five hundred, so two hundred. Uh, of the Fortune 500 are Workday customers. I mean, it's amazing when you think the, the, the company is 14 years old. And then, you know, with that volume of, of uh, customers, we managed over 100 billion transactions uh, between February 2018 and January 2019, which was a 50% increase on the year before. So so the, the business is growing exponentially. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it, we have... We have as you talked about this single code line, it's what we call the power of one. So it's a single system for business planning, financial management, human capital management, and analytics. Now I'll stop. <laughs> so some impressive numbers there. And Chris, you've, I suppose, been on both sides where mm. you've both advised clients of PwC in yep. terms of vendor selection, and you've made that decision yourself for PwC. Yes. Uh, would you mind telling us uh, about why you chose Workday and sure. uh, and what sort of key factors influenced that decision? Yeah, and and you know to put that into context, we made our decision to go with Workday um, three years ago, actually four years ago now, twenty fifteen, um, and a lot's changed in the market since then. So I'll I'll caveat what I'm about to say with with the evolution of all the products in the in the market, which you know there's a huge amount of investment going in all over. Um, but for us at the time, you know, it was really important that we had something as ready to go as possible. We recognized that we needed to go through quite a significant change, quite a significant transformation in how we operated. We're a big organization. We're now 290,000 people in 157 countries. We were a bit smaller at the time, not not hugely, but a bit, and but still very, very widespread. And, and we were very federated, so we had a lot of different ways of working, a lot of different processes, a lot of different approaches to dealing with talent across our network. And we needed, and we recognized we needed as an organization to be consistent. We needed to bring, you know, the best talent to our clients wherever they needed it. And they didn't expect us to operate as 157 businesses. They expected us to operate as one. 
So we recognized that to go through that change, we'd need something that was both, you know, easily adoptable, so easy to use, friendly for people to get to grips with, mobile, because we're a very mobile organization, we're always out and about, um, but also something that was standardized, something that we could, you know, ask a question, why not? Why not do it this way? Um, you know, recognizing that, the, you know, the competitive advantage that we bring to clients isn't how we necessarily uh, a follow an approval process for changes in jobs or how we uh, how we how many steps we go through when we're going through our recruitment process albeit that those things can have a big influence on how um, the experience of people are if they don't work well but assuming that they work well variation isn't competitively advantageous so why not take the best the market had to offer and at the time when we looked around you know from a functional perspective workday ticked the boxes for us uh, it, it did what we needed it to do but it also was more ready to go from a standard perspective now you know workday's competitors richard won't thank me for this richard workday's <laughs> competitors don't are not sleeping and haven't slept for the last the last few years and have invested very heavily um and and you know it, workday was right for us at the time um we don't regret the decision it was a it was a good decision uh, and it did help us transform great and you you mentioned uh, implementing across a mm. really a large number of separate businesses. Um, how did you find getting buy-in to execute over sort of such a broad landscape? I think, you know, for us, there had to be a strategic imperative. You know, coming at this and saying we can do HR a bit more effectively, we can, you know, perhaps increase capacity in HR or we can help HR have a bit more of a strategic voice actually wasn't compelling. For us, what was compelling was actually our organization needed to be better connected. We needed more standards in how we operated and we needed better data to help us deploy the best capability that we can for, for, our, for our clients' needs. There was also another factor, which was there was broad recognition that there was some work we needed to do to evolve our culture. You know, we always believed we were a very, um, you know, supportive organization and people who join us talk about that support and our culture is you know i think that resonates with a lot of people in who join us from the other other organizations but i think we were recognizing that actually there may be you know more work to do there and to create the best people experience we can recognizing that as an organization that is completely we don't have anything else except our people that we need them to be at their peak and and therefore it, you know our leadership needs to be our day, everyday leadership when i talk about leadership i don't mean executive leadership i mean everyday leadership needs to um, you know, help people flourish. Um, and so we felt there was more that we could do there. And this was a great opportunity to use the implementation as a, as a, as a catalytic effect. So we spent a lot of time with leadership teams on those issues, those topics of how do you get the right talent to your clients? How do you think about culture? How do you think about leadership within the organization? And, and you know, and then evidencing the value that we can create. And then when we talk about value, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. At the end of the day, we had to go through an exercise of demonstrating that we could deliver value through this process. But I don't think without that strategic imperative, we'd have got the impetus to actually go. And, and our leaders, fortunately, were behind that strategic vision of what we could be and how we could be different. And Chris, if I, if I could ask, so when, when you went through it, because I know lots of the listeners will be interested in that process you went through to select a vendor, which in this case yeah. was Workday, um, you know, often, I mean, obviously I, I work for a vendor, so I'm on the receiving end of these things. Yes. So you often get these massive spreadsheets with these thousand functional points and you have to say, whether, you know, whether, you, whether you, you comply and if you don't comply, mm. what do you do and all that sort of stuff. And it's just a, 
you know, you've got to do it, but it's just a nightmare because you know no one's ever going to read it, you know. <laughs> um, these functional checklists, you know, I, I, I do find I'm a bit jaded about it. Or they, it, It's describing what often what the company already has, and you should not be buying what you already have. You should be buying a transformational tool that's going to digitize HR and make your organization more agile. So that's my first thing is these, what do you, you know, it's more, for me, it should be more, you, 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 clearly you need a, a baseline of functionality, but it's more you'll buy, you know, the, with these cloud-based solutions, the, you know, the innovation, it's continuous. And, you know, with Workday, for instance, there are two new updates uh, a year with new functionality, functional extensions. And so it's, you know, for you, how important was the vision and the roadmap of the vendors that you spoke to? Did Was that a part of your vendor selection process? And then second point, what I always say to people is take as many references as you possibly can as early as you can in the process because that's where you're going to get the real honest feedback on the system, on the company you, you know that you're, you're you're considering, on their culture, on do they live up to their promises and you know use your informal networks. Don't just ask the vendor to provide references. So those two things, you know, functional checklists, vision roadmap and then also references what what part mm. did they play in your selection process? all played a, all played a role mm. i think on the functional side i would agree that sometimes organizations can over elaborate mm. on functional analysis uh, and i think the key there is understanding what what is absolutely critical in the sense that you can't change and you're not up for changing uh, and its impact if you if you if it goes wrong um, and that will hone in on a few really key areas that you need to be clear about and you need to validate that the system will meet your needs, I think, in those areas, but not all across the board. Because I think to your point, and I made the point before, I think taking the best from outside in is, is, is advantageous. And I don't see any of my clients, you know, really, really struggling with that. I think where they do struggle is perhaps where, you know, what you're alluding to is where they they're fixated on the requirement they have today and try and bend the system in a way that it doesn't want to to meet that requirement rather than adopting the process. And, you know, that can be hard because there's a lot of voices in the tech community who are saying, give us your requirements and we'll meet your requirements. Um, and that's the right starting point. We fortunately had the foresight not to start there and say, well, actually, let's start with what, what the best practice is and say, why not use that? Why shouldn't we do it that way rather than do it the way that we've always done it? in 157 different ways. And Chris, when you've taken that approach, mm. did you find that that led to an increased need to change business processes? Yes, it did. And and that was really hard for us because what it required was a, a huge amount of collaboration across our network. And, and again, without that sort of strategic imperative, it was very hard to, you know, kind of get people to work together and come together. We had a, a number of really um, focused design events that were all about demonstrating what the product could do and therefore how we could align with it across a wide group of stakeholders in our organization. And we made those events very much about the change. And I think one of the key things for us was to recognize that this was about much more than HR process. This was about an opportunity to have a different conversation with our business about our organizational structure, about the role of leaders in our organization and what managers did. And when I say managers, I'm using the expression of, you know, people who lead others on an everyday basis, um, not the grade, as it were. Uh, we have a grade called managers, you see, so uh, that was an important distinction to make. But for us, it was the, the, the role of everyday leadership. And also, you know, how do we create standards that will allow us to access data in a different way and think about planning for what will necessarily be a disrupted future with all the change coming down the pike. So those things were really important to us. 
And if you look back at that implementation, what would you say is the, the biggest lesson you personally learned? <laughs> wow. Um, there are so many. Um, I think, I think you know, <laughs> the big thing that we did that I think worked was that element of getting people to buy into the vision uh, right at the outset and 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 work with them in a collaborative way i think initially there was a lot of people telling us well we should you know we can do this very quickly we can design this in a in a in a darkened room almost it, it, how hard is this stuff it's really easy and then we can just deploy but we brought people in and we brought representation in and that was hard to do because there was a lot of people we needed to engage with in the conversation but recognizing that their journey to understanding what the capability of what we were trying to do was and, and, and how that led to, you know, advantage for them was just a, a process that you have to go through. So understanding that, getting 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 out early, talking to leaders, engaging them, thinking really, really practically about the change, uh, how it affects people every day, thinking about the experience of employees and what the impact on their lives is going to be and engaging leaders around that was time consuming but um, uh, absolutely essential to uh, to to getting to done um, and and you know so I think that was probably the biggest the biggest learning or the biggest uh, affirmation of the approach that we took during the process uh, and one thing that that I'm sat here wondering is did mm. this whole process start with the leadership of PwC saying we need to be better connected or better in a certain area and the HR function offering an HCM as an answer, or was it was the impetus for change from the HR team? There was an element of both. Um, I think you know there was a coincidence of a renewed strategy. So I think at the time every organisation was developing its 2020 strategy. I think I've seen enough Vision 2020s. Uh, you know, maybe they're uh, we're nearly there. We're nearly there yeah, now, yeah. right? Um, we had one of those, um, so there was that impetus. As I say, there was a you know a, a strategic need to to think differently about how we were connected and about the ex people experience within our organisation. Um, we coined a phrase called the, the human difference, but that came out of HR in response to that strategic imperative. Um, but I think I think ultimately, you know, the the recognition that we could use, and I use that expression cautiously the opportunity to replace legacy HR systems. We had a really fragmented HR system landscape. You know, we had a lot of different systems. They were, it was, it was you know, it wasn't working very well. Um, and HR recognized that um, was an opportunity then to, to use that as a catalyst to open up that debate around how could we standardize, how could we use data more effectively, and how could we engage the business in a different conversation about leadership roles. And has that led to any unexpected competitive advantage that you didn't anticipate at the start of the process? I think we're on a journey. Um, you know, so, you know, I think we keep saying to ourselves, we, our implementation, you know, timeline was, you know, two and a half years from really hitting the road with, you know, in-depth in design sessions to getting our last wave of countries live. Um, we did it a lot more quickly with our first wave, but we couldn't deploy everything all in one go. We've got, as I say, 157 countries to roll out. So, you know, the last of those went live in December. So not too long ago. So we're still learning about how we get value from it. But I think I think the the big one for me is we, we, we identified two explicit uh, roles in our organization 
um, that were about everyday leadership. We standardized those roles and we spent time across the network coaching, developing the capability within those roles. So, for example, in the UK, we had a big event we called uh, Tomorrow Today, which was all about leadership in uh, the digital age. And it was for every single one of our managers, I'm using air quotes, you can't see air quotes on a podcast, but our managers who were leading people, you know, giving them a vision of what the future might look like, a disrupted future with more automation, um, and also how that might affect their leadership style and what that meant. Now, that was our workday training. We also had workday in as one of the sessions, and we did a, a game where we, an escape room game where we, we gave everybody some clues and they had to use Workday to figure them out. And that was our all, all the training that we provided on Workday um, for, that, for that group, that cohort. Um, 3,000 people in, in Tobacco Dock in London. But what was fantastic about it was, I think, was that the debate and the people leaving that conversation weren't thinking, well, I've just been to some system training. They were thinking about their role as leaders, about how they could engage differently with their people and have a different conversation about how you know work was going to change over time um and i think if if that is a is a is a is a hugely impactful um you know legacy as it were but something we're still living and learning about um that i think will will make a huge difference for how people feel working for the organization and that is where you get your competitive advantage from right the the, the everyday people experience within our organization is just absolutely critical to delivering fantastic innovation and customer experience. I mean, so just talking about the innovation, um, you know, with a cloud system um, as opposed to the on, the old on-premise yeah. world where you were stuck on typically stuck on an, one version for many years. You know, with 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 Workday, you get two new updates a year, and every customer is always on the latest version. You never get left behind on an old version. Everyone's on the same version. So, I mean, one of the things you know that. I, I like to say to prospective customers and customers is, you know, once a project finishes, it's not finished, it's just starting because, you know, you've got the new functionality, new innovation coming down the line. Um, you probably, you need some kind of team or function that makes sure you continue to get the most out of your investment in, in the cloud-based HR technology, in your case, in, in Workday. How have you structured yourselves to make sure that you continue to reap the benefits of the innovation that Workday is delivering. Yeah, so we never had as a, really a, a deep HR operations capability globally in the sense of, you know, one across our network. It was all territory-led. Um, we now have that capability, and so there's an ongoing process of listening to, you know, our, our different territories around the requirements that come out and feeding that back. But I would go a bit further. I would say, and, I, and this is a, a, a you know something I would urge everybody who's listening to this, who's in the in the function, is is you know I think HR of that 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 role of looking after the future uh, in respect of people it has to sit somewhere, and it has to sit, in my view, with HR. And I think HR are often you know positioning themselves in a more passive way, saying, well, how do I support business transformation? How do I support the business in achieving its goals? Actually. How I would ask them to think a little bit differently and say, well, how do I drive organizational transformation? How do I help? I, how do I drive the business to change so that it's ready for the future uh, around people? It's often it's often what we hear from HRDs, right, CPOs, that you know, how do we get a seat at the table? I would I would I would reframe that question. How does and, and challenge any organization and any CEO is how do you make sure somebody on your board has 
people at the heart of their agenda so that you can be sure that you're making the most difference in your transformation agenda. And have you seen that make a difference in the way that HR leaders build a business case for uh, implementing a system? Uh, I remember some years ago, people would often talk about reducing admin heads. uh, And it feels like nowadays the the picture is very much more about actually driving that business change and driving a cultural change. All the cases I've seen recently, you know, there's kind of always that piece that you you have to at least get a return. Right. So there is an element of you have to create capacity, you have to show that you're reducing your cost base on 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 IT. You know, those things are kind of have to be there in the mix for it to be credible. And, and, and fortunately, with the cloud systems, Workday no exception, you know, usually there's a really good case to make, particularly for a complex organization who's, you know, kind of inherited and changed a lot over time. But I think where the case really flies is really saying, well, how do we use this uh, use this opportunity to catalyze a bigger transformational aim? I mean, every organization is going through through significant disruption, you know, around that intersect of people and technology. And one of the areas, of course, is skills, right? So Workday has a you know relatively new module called Skills Cloud, which allows you to identify skills within your 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 talent pool. Well, you have to have a standard way of thinking and talking about that in order to do that effectively. In all, and, and as organizations are looking to the future, and we have a, uh, an approach that we take with clients called Upskill, where we look at you know, what roles are going to shift and change in the future, what skills are likely to be automated, and then how do you build the succession plans or the retraining plans and or you know, look at talent pools differently to make sure that you're prepared for that change. That agenda should be entirely driven by HR leaders, and that's, those are the kind of conversations that they need to be pushing I think, with the C-suite in order to be effective. Now, how do you do that when you don't have the systems in place that tell you what your people are doing, Mm. that uh, have standards baked in them so that you can categorize and look at data in a way that's meaningful? You can't. You have to do that work. And, you know, Workday has provided us with an opportunity to get that foundation in of consistency in terms of data. Now, look at the future as to where is... Uh, the business going where are we going with people that will help us shape and you know give them both the best experience but also help them be ready for the future in terms of skills development yeah i mean just to sort of carry on that point i think it's it's quite ironic isn't it we're getting more technology than ever before and there are ways of technological disruption hitting us more automation and yet I think people are becoming even more important to to an organization's success, despite all of this automation, despite all of this clever technology. Um, and 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 you're right. This the skills cloud. I think it's 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 interesting to talk about that a little bit more because I think uh, in this age where our organizations need to really need to innovate on a continuous basis to uh to survive and thrive right if you just if you just have one idea you execute on that idea uh, and it generates profits but if you're not continuing to look for other opportunities then you know ultimately you'll you'll go the way of you know a blockbuster or kodak or whatever so so we all need to be innovating all the time and at the heart of that people people drive the innovation and it's this and also and it's the skills that the people have that are the currency uh, that allow us to you know, to 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 um, match people to work. To um, you know, skills are becoming obsolete on on a regular basis. New skills are are appearing, and you know, workday we were looking at thinking and looking at skills and you know how skills should be at the heart of the organisation of organisations moving forward. And the problem with skills was there are so many of them, 
And also people use synonyms. You know, there are 40 different ways to describe a single skill. How do you organize that data? And most organizations just kind of get, give up. It's just too difficult. So, so what we did was, you know, we, we, we had various seed data sets of skills, which gave us up to, I think, roughly 200 million skills, not unique skills, but 200 million skills. And then we have the machine learning algorithm that sorts through automatically through those skills and has basically um, summarized it down to 55,000 unique skills. But it's not just a list of skills, the skills cloud. It's also it's called a, an ontology. So what it's doing is it's measuring the relationships between the different skills and the strength of the relationship. So, for instance, and this is, I, can, I need to come up with a better example of this, but let's say someone has a Java programming skill. It will know that lots and lots of people who have that skill also have JavaScript. So it will know that there's a, there's a strong relationship between those skills. So therefore... Let's say if someone says they have a Java skill, it will then make a recommendation. Say, oh, do you also have JavaScript? Because it knows they probably have. And then also, you know, it, it starts associating skills with learning, skills with different roles. And then the other thing we're looking at is, you know, um, the, the big problem with HR systems is, is to get employees to input data, is to say what skills they have. And now you can you can derive a lot of these skills, in fact. So, um, you know, if someone's uh, you can look at their job description, you can look at their experience, you can look at the feedback that they may have received from their peers, from other people in the organization. Um, you can you can look at what learning they've, they've completed. And so, again, we have algorithms that are sweeping through that data and then we'll then start making suggestions. We're calling shadow skills. So we'll start looking and say, well, we think, you, you know, Billy, Bob, Sarah, Sue, You've got these skills. Is that right? And then they can select the skills that they have. So, you know, we're moving, I think, um, to, and that all sort of uses, you know, clever machine learning, to a world that we're all used to already in our consumer life. This whole yeah. personalization, you know, more context contextual experiences. And you talked about people experience a lot. And we're all used to that. We, we have that in pretty much all the apps we use on our phone, when we go shopping on Amazon, it's all you know, when we use Alexa. But when you step into the enterprise, you kind of, oh, yeah, I don't have that experience. And and, and that's something that, and I should safe harbor this, this is a future looking statement. This is functionality we're working on and plans in the future may change. So don't don't make any buying decisions about based upon what I'm saying. But, um, you know that that that's the direction of travel. We we're looking to create that personalised, contextualised experience that means that the system knows who I am. It serves up information that's going to be relevant to me. And just things like seasonality as well. It knows what time of year are we doing the comp review process. So what kind of information am I going to be interested in at that time of year, for instance? So the the whole experience is going to become much more intelligent. It's not just going to be a list of icons that you click on to access functionality. It's going to serve information. It's just to build on that a practical um, application of of having you know the data around skills and being able to match that to work um we've implemented a, a bit of or oh, it's augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence but it but it but it what it does is um effectively look at work that we have and those work packages are, are, are discrete and relatively small as these these are jobs that we're doing with clients um and matches those two skills but also figures in both location and diversity um, and uses an algorithm 
and some learning to deploy people to jobs in a flexible way. So, you know, and that's great for people experience because, you know, they get shorter commutes, but they also get opportunities that perhaps they would have not got otherwise. Um, and a diverse set of work experiences um, without really much effort and without really trying. And from a business perspective, it's great because we can you know, make sure that people are getting meaningful work um, that's convenient for them at times that they can work as well. So matching those pieces of flexibility, diversity and skills to deploy people to jobs is something that automation can can, can help with. It can only do it if you have the foundation stones in place. Data, yeah. You've got to have the data right. Yeah. You've got to have the systems in place that maintain that information in a sensible way. And, you know, and that requires some standards. So, the, the, you know, I know that a lot of people find that stuff a bit, you know, oh, God, that's painful. That sounds a bit boring. Where do I? But the opening up of opportunity to drive real transformation in how people experience work at, with with performance at the heart of it is is incredible. And it, it answers a, a growing problem where automation removes a lot of low-skilled work. So people become more unique, harder to find. Uh, and, and more important, uh, and because of that, this requirement to match people's skills, aspirations, culture and jobs is is oh, crucial for the future. I, absolutely. I mean, you know, I use that expression. I think I used the expression before, at least we use it. We use it internally called about the human difference, recognizing that actually automation can only take you so far. And in a world where automation is increasing, actually human capability is really actually more precious and and I think for many people, uh, you know, more rewarding, you know, so storytelling, innovation, relationships, networks, these are things that humans are, are good at, right? And those skills are going to become, have much more currency when, you know, the, the, the task is automated. I don't think that's something to fear. I think that's something actually that could make actually work a much, a much better place to be for people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a lot to do with them. Um... A lot of the the ways of technology that are about to hit us is a lot to do with augmentation as well. Mm. When I look at a lot of a lot of the the plans we have in Workday, it's about basically helping people make better decisions. You know, um, it's 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 jobs will change for sure, right? Um, but I'm a sort of a glass half full kind of guy, and and I, and I think even though yes, perhaps some roles will be automated out of existence um lots of new roles are going to be created you know which we require those 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 human capabilities and but will be augmented for sure um and i think the work will be a lot more interesting as well and mm. um, richard what what's next for workday what have you got on your roadmap yeah so i mean again let me just safe harbor this i'm legally required <laughs> to do that plans change um but yeah so there's a lot in the area of machine learning, right? We we tend not to talk about artificial intelligence because that's that's not really what's happening. It's not about robots, and you know, it's it's about analysing large volumes of data to spot patterns in that data to um, aid you know decision making. So we have some of that already, and we're weaving it into the platform. It's not going to be it's not an add on module. It's going to be absolutely at the core of the product. And we, we you know we've already started rolling out you know retention risk dashboards that seeks to predict who may be at risk of leaving uh, leaving and there's lots more um, functionality in that area uh, going to be delivered you know we have a of course a chatbot everyone's got a chatbot a chatbot coming um, 
in in the, in the next uh, in in the next six to twelve months. Um, but I mean, chatbots, you know, it's um, they're useful and they will change the experience a little bit. And you know, but I mean, if you think about your phone, if you turned off the ability, if you had to speak to your phone the whole day, you know, how much would you actually get done? Um, so a chatbot is it's a useful tool, okay, but it's not going to replace the way in which we we interact um, with our applications. One, I mean, one particularly exciting area um, is in the area of augmented analytics. And what I mean there is, you know, with Workday, um, hopefully Chris can testify to this, you know, there's lots of reporting capability. There's lots of dashboards. You Some might, might lots of metrics. You, you, know, you might say actually there's too much. Um, and people can be overwhelmed. You know, which which dashboard should I look at? Which metric should I actually pay attention to? You know, and then, you know, in the old days, you'd have some traffic lighting. You know, uh, red, amber, green. What if everything's red? <laughs> which one do you look at? Um, and the idea with augmented analytics is to use, you know, advanced machine learning techniques to identify which metric we actually think is changing in such a way that you, that the executive, you, the manager, should actually pay attention to that metric. And so we're using um, pattern analysis to identify changes in metrics that are important. We're using graph processing to identify relationships between these different metrics that you probably wouldn't, well, you almost certainly would not be able to identify as a human. It's too much data. We're using a machine learning to work out which metric we think is going to be interesting for you based upon your role in the organization. And then finally, we, so that means we push the metric to the individual, it pops up and says, you need to have a look at this metric, there's something going on here. And then we use natural language generation to build the story behind the metric, to explain why we think the metric is behaving in that way. Um, and that that's the, the first iteration of those augmented analytics will come out. Um, it's planned to come out towards the end of this year. It's called People Analytics. Uh, uses all those advanced techniques, and we're, we're extremely excited about that. And then, then further down the road, we'll have augmented analytics for key financial metrics and so on. So, so that's an extremely exciting area, I think. It, it really is. I, I think one of the big challenges as an HR leader uh, isn't getting data. We, we're all drowning in data. It's having something that can tell you what data is important at the appropriate time, uh, why and, and what impact it will have. Um, have you seen that PwC? Yeah, I would. I would agree with sort of all that's been said. I, I think, you know, there is a <laughs> there's, there's a there's a there's a fire hose of information <laughs> coming your way, and making sense of it is, is is hard, right? So, and I think also it develops over time, and and so you know, for us internally, at least on our journey, we're still we're still getting gathering that information because it takes a while for in you get to get enough information to make sense of trends and. And, and start to kind of work interventions on the back of it. But, you know, I think, as I said before, you know, the starting point for me is, is, is have you got the consistency and the standards in place that allow you to see the data in a different way, in, in a way that makes sense? And, and, you know, previously we didn't. And just, just moving, I mean, for lots of my customers and my clients as well, you know, we, we moved from a situation where to, for us to do a global headcount report took, took over a month. You know, and and we weren't then even sure that it was you know entirely accurate. And now, now that information, even that basic information, is there at at, at a at, 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 you know at our fingertips. And and even now, you know, I was talking to somebody uh, in one of our businesses um, yesterday, actually, who's on the back of uh, what's in Workday has now 
developed um, you know some strategic workforce planning tools that allow them to start having forward looking around their business so some of this higher order stuff about telling us you know kind of what to do and you know what's really important to look at i think is great and you know but i think the the message would be that takes a bit of time to get there but but laying the foundations is really important now so that you can get realize those things in the future what about, what about um, blockchain chris we couldn't we couldn't have a podcast oh, about tech without talking about blockchain and uh, yeah there are lots it's interesting so it's about yeah, know, yeah. portable profiles uh-huh. for employees for for candidates What's your perspective on that? Well, we've got a, and believe it or not, we've got a solution, why wouldn't we, um, called Smart Credentials, um, which we've just launched in the UK, which um, allows, it's effectively looking at um, people's credentials and validating them. But once validated, um, effectively encoding that in a blockchain so that they can take that data around with them now and release it where they want to. They're in control, of course. Um, but means that they don't have to be re-screened, if you will. You don't have to re-validate that information once it's been validated. I think that's a, a real practical example of, of, of how that technology can, can make a difference. I think there's lots of other other sort of you know, aspirational examples of how blockchain can make a difference. I think that's the key one. I think you went straight to it, which is how do you how do you kind of prove the veracity of yeah. uh, of people's background and experience and then put them in control of it because obviously that's where, where it needs to sit. Um, so there are, as I say, Smart Credentials is an example of that. I would close with a bit of an urge, I think I kind of, uh, or a, a, a request of the listeners, you know, to say, look, to, you know, take the opportunity with this stuff to make the most difference you can for your organisation. I think if HR takes on the mantle of, you know, being more disruptive, and I mean that in a positive way, taking advantage of the catalytic effect of having to make changes for itself to drive organizational transformation it could it could have a much power more powerful and broader voice i i couldn't agree more and there was something you mentioned earlier where you said there's a change where implementing an hcm is not about helping hr yeah. be better it's it's about driving a a real change in the strategy of a business and uh, and improving a business's performance uh, and for me that's powerful couldn't agree more Well, uh, thank you to Chris and Richard for joining us. And of course, thank you to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this edition of HRD Live podcast, please rate and subscribe for more episodes very soon. Bye.